All right, uh, back to chapter five. Uh, I hope you guys do, after all this, understand that <laughs> Jesus uh, comes out to public ministry. He gets baptized. He goes and gets tempted in the wilderness. By the way, there is going to be a Ash Wednesday service at Ann Ashley. Um, all three of us are going to be preaching, uh, John, me, and uh, the other guy, Keith. And, uh, yeah, him, the guy that runs that church. <laughs> What time? Seven o'clock, Ash Wednesday. What date is Ash Wednesday? I think it's the first week in March. You won't be here. Um, yeah, it's on a Wednesday this year, Ash Wednesday. Easter Sunday's on an Easter. Really? Uh, that doesn't happen often. Um, anyway, that God's doing all this stuff. He's just coming into his ministry, and this is, well, the first real recorded sermon, and he hits it out of the park, man. He just nails everything. He holds nothing back. He just right into the Pharisees. Uh, please don't forget that a lot of this is being addressed while he's speaking to his disciples, to the crowd, then to his disciples. He's directing a lot of this at the Pharisees. And when you think of Pharisees, I don't I just think of people who are doing who uh, approach Jesus Christ for the wrong reasons, who try to use him instead of being used by him uh, to make them something. you know. I would say. That it's always so, in my mind anyway, good to remember that a couple of them Yes, tended. yes. And, and sometimes I forget that and I'm like, oh, the whole group is terrible. Yeah. You know, there's a bunch in there that gave up everything so they could also follow him. Well, the reason we think that is because it's said that way. The, you scribes and you Pharisees. Right. And it doesn't really say, except for you, Nicodemus. Yeah, or you know, But we do get to see it. I mean, so it's good to remember that, yeah, even... I guess in what it's like finding a good politician, and I don't mean to be smirch politicians, but we make assumptions about them. You know that they're not in it for uh, holistic reasons; they're in it to further themselves or something else. And maybe we err and do that, but sometimes they just seem to make it hard not to think of it another way. But yeah, I mean there definitely were people. Um, uh, who's the other one? There's a couple of them. Anyway, but yes, your point's well taken. But uh, this is going right at what's wrong with Israel. <laughs> right off the bat. I mean, the dude shows up and bang. He doesn't ease into it. He doesn't do anything else. Well, he's God. He can do whatever he wants. And he backs it up with miracles. So it's, and well, and he knows the word inside not because, well, he wrote it. So you could see why in the end, I mean, start now, and you could see why they killed him, or they wanted him dead. I mean, it's just, there was nothing, that, they couldn't defend themselves against him. There was nothing they could do, and he never relented all the way through. You know, what's wrong is wrong. Um, so right now, we, we're ending chapter 5, and I, I just be sure you know that 5 and 6, we put those numbers in there. It's a continuous flow uh, of, you know, uh, teaching. There, there was no pause, and then later we did chapter 6. So we're going to walk right into that. And what he's saying is, uh, for first, he's talking about um, motive, why you do what you do, why you obey the Lord. Uh, well, the heart of the law, like I said, versus the letter of the law is what this is all about. Doing it for the wrong reasons uh, does nothing for you. It, actually, it's harmful. Uh, and the the verse before 47, he says, If you love those who love you, what reward do you have? That's where we left off. 
do not even the tax collectors do the same thing? Well, here he's lumping tax collectors in. I don't know if you guys have ever had a chance to see what's on. Uh, it's on a couple channels, uh, streaming channels. It's called The Chosen. Uh, that's worth watching. My son said, hey, watch this. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, it's about the life of Jesus. It's So far as where I'm at, it's all about the disciples. Right when Jesus shows up, how he meets them, what they're doing. And they have a really interesting take on Matthew, the tax collector. You know, he's like a little snake snitching on people and stuff, you know, all that sort of stuff. It was fascinating. It made me think about a lot of things that I didn't think about. I can't remember what all channels it's on, but if you Google The Chosen, you'll, you'll see it in there. And it's really, uh, I'm fascinated by it. I'm, okay, it's, it's not gospel, but it makes you think about something you didn't think about. And so the tax collector thing in there, even Jesus categorizes, because everybody knows. It's just a fact. Then he says, if you greet only your brothers, uh, let me change that to, if you're nice to only people who are nice to you, uh, what more are you doing than other people? And how are you showing that you're mine, is what he's saying. Don't even the Gentiles do the same thing? The Romans. He said, you're, you're just like a Roman. What, what difference does that make? Um, James 2, 14 through 17. What use is it, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but has no works? Can that faith save him? Now that line right there, people try to take the book of James out of the Bible because of that. But it goes on. If a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you say to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, greeting them, which he just said, and yet you did not give them what was necessary for their body, what use is that? Even so, faith, if it has no works, is dead, being by itself. Um, now, the Bible Knowledge Commentary about this verse says, Jesus stated that Israel should demonstrate God's love even to her enemies, a practice not even commanded in the Old Testament. It was always, I mean, Jesus goes deeper than that line. Later he says, you know, love your enemies. Um, God loves them. He causes his sun to rise on them, and he sends rain to produce their crops. Since he, his love extends to everyone, Israel too, God's people, should be a channel of his love by loving all. Such love demonstrates they are God's sons. Matthew 5.16 Loving only those who love you and greeting only your brothers is no more than the tax collectors and the pagans do, which was, quote-unquote, a cutting remark to the Pharisees. Because if you associated with the Romans or the Gentiles, they would chastise you. Well, when Jesus went into the house with the tax collectors and the, the prostitutes, they, you know, how could you do that? You say you're a man of God. And Jesus looks at them and says, you guys don't get this at all. 48. <clears throat> then he throws this line out there. After but you should greet your friends. You should love your, you know, love your neighbors. Therefore, you are to be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. I quote that a lot. This is one of the spots where it is. Be holy as I am holy has just as been explained to us, keeping the letter and the heart of the law, keeping both. Uh, keeping just one is keeping nothing. Keeping the heart and not doing anything is James, you know, and doing it the other way around does nothing for anybody. Keeping for the wrong reasons is also keeping nothing. So if you got the heart wrong and you got the letter wrong, uh, either one of them, it doesn't work. 
At its heart, this Sermon of Jesus addresses human pride and humility and their place in the kingdom of heaven. That message continues in chapter 6. All these things he's telling you to do, everything he's talking to the, about the Pharisees about, it has to do with pride. What do people think of me? You know, how can I be somebody there? Uh, what makes me important? And um, man, he, he goes to be seen. Yeah, which is all pride. And as we know, as I've said many, many times, pride is the enemy. It is what we're here to get rid of. To see it, recognizing, get rid of it. This sermon starts it. I mean, that's what he kicks off with. Moving on, Matthew 6, 1. It's still the same sermon. Beware of practice, practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. It doesn't say don't, be, <laughs> don't practice righteousness. He says don't do it heart. Why you do it. It's not what you do. Otherwise, here it is again, second time in four verses, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. Uh, we read that reward thing and we move on, but it's real. Jesus says it a couple times, quite a few times actually, where he talks about this reward being greater, that punishment being greater, and we fluff past it without really thinking about it. Um, I would say, and I understand when people say to me, I don't care about that, I just want to be there. Um, I think you should care about it. Uh, because what it says is, it's more of a well done, my good and faithful servant. Um, there's nothing, to me, that's the reward. There's nothing I want to hear more than that. Um, there's nothing I seek more than that. Um, just be aware that it, when we say, well, what difference does it make if I, uh, so if I'm saved by faith through grace, then why, what does it matter if I sin or don't sin? Well, Jesus continually tells you it does matter because there are degrees of reward, there are degrees of punishment. In other words, there's justice. I will always make it what it should be. Don't ever doubt that. Uh, in verses 1 through 18, Jesus teaches on the three of chapter 6. Jesus teaches on the three pillars of Jewish piety. See, the, what he's going to teach about in this chapter coming up is these three things that are really, really important to the Jews and to the Pharisees. Caring for the poor, prayer, and fasting. The fasting one, we've sort of lost our way on. I mean, we don't really talk much about it. And uh, I, I know a few years back, I preached for eight weeks on it. <laughs> I, said, I went back and looked. I said, wow. <laughs> so it has been addressed. Um, 2016 or something. I have it in here somewhere. Uh, he expressed no issue with doing these three things, each time stating, when you do them. He says, when you pray when you fast <laughs> so yes you, you are to be doing them so the issue isn't that you're doing them it's why you're doing them that once again this goes on they are the things that children of god should do but the religious leader the religious leaders had so polluted the acts with pride that the acts meant to please god had actually become offensive to god the things that were to make you holy as god is holy uh were doing the exact opposite, all because of why they were doing them. And of course, we are each responsible for our why. It's one of those things you should think about as much as what you're actually doing. Why am I doing this? And it's a hard thing to do and be honest, but if you have someone close to you that loves the Lord, 
they can help you with that. You know what I mean? Um, but honestly, it falls on your own shoulders most of the time. Jesus continues on in his teaching about the heart of the law versus the letter of the law, the why and the how of the matter. Remember, we put the chapter numbers in here. This is a continuation of a theme from chapter 5 and this Sermon on the Mount. The heart of the law, the heart of religion. Ultimately, righteousness is an expression of humility. Once again, the humbling of oneself before God through obedience and the humbling of oneself before men through care and concern which says you mean as much as I do which is directly attacking pride both those things you know who you are before God and you know who you are with the concerning the person sitting next to you if you do deeds and works for the purpose of exalting yourself they cannot be practices of righteousness but rather they are an expression of pride the very thing they were meant to destroy and of course Satan that's exactly what our enemy would want us to do use what God had put there to humble us to build our pride and it's a real thing it's just as real now as it was for the scribes and the Pharisees it has never changed what the scriptures say nothing is new under the sun what was is and will be again there is no such thing as a selfish or pride motivated righteous deed pride makes good works into an oxymoron and the act becomes an expression of hypocrisy that heaven clearly sees every single time. God knows. It has a stench to it that he smells, that his nose is accustomed to. Uh, what we need to do is learn to tune your nose to it. That you know, There's not much you can do about other people, their motives, judging their motives. I mean, it's my job to go up and preach this and let the scripture judge their motives, but you surely can judge your own. You really can. Generally speaking, being rewarded by man precludes being rewarded by God in spiritual matters. They have their reward in full, was Jesus' words in verse 6 and verse 12 of this chapter. In other words, Jesus is saying, that's all you get. If that's why you're doing this, you're not getting anything from God. Jesus starts this part with a serious warning. Beware. Telling us that at any time Jesus says beware, really pay attention. Honestly. He, it's not a casual word. Uh, telling us that there is serious danger in doing such things as God will judge them. Often what brings the praises of men here and now will bring the condemnation of God there and then. Understand, there is... The opposite is coming. Yes, you do gain something here and now, but at the cost of the eternal. It's simply a matter of time. Do not serve yourself when you proclaim that you are serving God or man. Check yourself. Take responsibility for your motives. Jesus then gives us a practical way to check ourselves so we do not do such things. Jesus speaks to each of the acts of righteousness, one after the other, and then tells us how we should accomplish them using the term but. He always says but. He said this is what you do but. When you see the word but, he's telling you how to fix it. To mark the difference in the heart of the act versus the letter. Jesus uses the word so to mark the right conclusion and action. Those two words are on all three points. These, he swings it. But so, but so, but so. 
then we'll go right to it. Verse 2. So, when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. I say to you, they have their reward in full. There's reward again. Please understand that's meaningful. It's not poetry. Deuteronomy 15, 7 through 11. If there is a poor man with you, one of your brothers, in any of your towns in your land, which the Lord your God has given you, you shall not harden your heart, nor close your hand for your poor brother. You shall freely open your hand to him, and shall generously lend him sufficient for his need and whatever he lacks. Beware that there is no base of thought in your heart, saying, The seventh year, the year of remission is near, and your eyes hostile towards your poor brother, and you give him nothing, that he may cry to the Lord against you, and it will be sin in you. Uh, I assume you guys understand the seventh year reference. Their uh, economy worked on a seven-year cycle. At the end of seven years, all debts were forgiven. So what he's saying is, if on seven years, uh, I need... I'm, I'm hurting and Kevin lends me money. Well, in three months, the seven years, well, three months, I don't have to pay him back by law. But he still lends it to me anyway. Well, what he's doing is giving it to me. It's gone out of the realm of lending into giving. And Jesus says, you know, and the scripture is saying, well, do it. You know, and he, don't look at the calendar. Don't look at how it's coming back. Um, question. Go ahead. I don't know if you know the answer, but check later. Could, in that situation, you still pay me back after the seven years or is sure. it law to you, ha you can't even do it if you want no no you could it's just, um, it's just there for right it's there to yeah whatever if what you can't do is enforce it and you can't enforce it secretly either well I'm going to do it but you know you know that we're going to have now from my end absolutely Right that's the right thing to do if you know if, if I if things turn around I get my money of course I should you know yeah excellent point by the way it, and he calls it sin if you do that. You shall generously give him, and I love this, and your heart shall not be grieved when you give to him. <laughs> you know, just mumbling and complaining. Um, <laughs> because for, these, for this thing, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. So if you do the right thing the right way without complaining, Without regret, I think is the word I like to use. You know, yeah, I'll do it, Lord, but I'm not happy about it. Or, you know, I regret that I did that. God says, if you do it that way, I'll bless you. And he said, if you don't do it that way, in the verse before, he says, it's a sin. There. <laughs> There's the heart of the law and the letter of the law. The heart of the law is do it. I mean, the letter of the law is do it. The heart of the law is saying, do it without regret. And I'll bless you. If, if not, it's sin. So, there we go. And then we had that this verse that comes up in the New Testament. Right out, This is from Deuteronomy. Uh, it says, by the way, we'll bless you in all your work and in all your undertakings. You bless people, I'll bless you. For the poor will never cease to be in the land. Therefore, I command you. See, uh, that one gets quoted all the time. It's in Mark, and I'll, I have it here somewhere. Um... And we, I've heard that quoted to say, well, Scripture says the poor will never cease to be in the land. So that means there's nothing we can do about it. We can't fix it. So live your life. Don't worry about it. 
That's what it says. Therefore, because there will always be poor, I command you, saying, you shall freely open your hand to your brother, to your needy, and the poor in your land. Because they'll always be there, always keep your hand open. Keep your wallet open. Always. And we have taken that and just, yeah. Give generously. That means more than necessary. More than requested. Um, and freely. Don't try to find a way around giving. Do not allow yourself to regret doing it. This is poor. It doesn't qualify here what poor is or why they are poor. It simply says if they are poor. So what it's saying is if, if somebody has a need, help them if you can. That's the simplest way to put this. Now, of course, we have always taken this and... Uh, Man, we've used this to justify a lot of stuff, you know, and he says very clearly, uh, well, I don't have to give to this person because of this, this, and that, and, you know, because, well, they created the mess. Well, who doesn't create their own mess, you know? Just remember, as you give, God will give to you, is what he said. Uh, I've created a lot of messes that God has gotten me out of graciously, abundantly, and I'm very thankful for that. Don't get tired of giving. Do not allow yourself to get tired. It's tempting, but don't do it. Uh, because it's not optional. He said it is a command. It says you shall. I'm not asking you if you want to. I'm telling you this is what I expect from my people. Verse 11 is a quote by Jesus in Matthew, Mark 14, 7, when the woman pours perfume on him. Uh, this verse fully explains that verse. Mark 14, 7 through 8, for you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you can do good to them. So he's referring back to, shouldn't you have taken care of the poor already? <laughs> because Deuteronomy commands it. They were saying, remember she poured it, and they said, why'd she do that? She, that money could have been used for you know to give to the poor. Yeah. And Jesus saying, now you're worried about the poor? Before this was poured out, did you do anything to help the poor? But you don't always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand, before the burial. That's actually the verses that, uh, that made me leave <laughs> seminary. <laughs> That's, those verses was what I was going to preach on. And I was saying, I was making the point that uh, she was being, being obedient to the Spirit. Because she didn't, Jesus is saying why she actually did it, even if she didn't know the Spirit had led her to. In other words, this was destined to happen. And from that, uh, when I said she was being obedient to the Spirit, the word obedient came up, and yeah. I just thought, it just brought back a, a wonderful memory. Obedient, the word obedience is offensive. I said, when talking about God, they said yes. I went, yeah, I'm not giving you any more of my money, so <laughs> take it out of here. Anyway. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Jesus is saying don't care for the poor because poverty is an unsolvable problem. He's saying uh, you to do your duty to the poor and uh, do things like this. Do as the Spirit leads you to do and take care of what Scripture tells you to do. In other words, you can't say, well, the Spirit doesn't lead me to do it. Well, Scripture's telling you to do it. Okay. You can't get around that. There is... There's no concoction of things that you can come up with that get you around a command in Scripture. It, it is what it is. Um, yeah. When you give, 
keep it between you and God. The one who matters uh, knows what you did and why you did it. If you do a good work for your own worldly benefit, it's no longer a good work under the definition of Scripture of what a good work is. It is simply strategy. That's all, you, that's all you're doing. You're playing a game. A giving to get instead of giving to help. As Scripture says several times, when you give tithe with the wrong motive, the recognition of men is the only reward you receive. You get what you wanted the most. You get what you pursued. You get what you want. You get the admiration of a bunch of people who are going to hell. We enjoy it while you have it because you ain't going to have it long. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Once you give, think no more of it. Even in your secrecy, among others, watch over your own heart and pride. Wow! Watch over your own heart. The fact that you gave in secret can cause pride to stir. Uh, give and forget. Let God do the remembering of the what and why. And once again, so that your giving will be in secret and your Father who sees what is done in secret will, once again, reward you. I would rather have God reward me than punish me, so that seems pretty simple. Uh, so, uh, the less that men see, the more that God sees, uh, the more he pays attention. Reward is granted by God for doing things the right way. Not just for doing things, but for doing them the right way. Not sure what exactly the reward is. I don't know. Or when it is granted, I don't know. But it can't be a bad thing. Uh, the reward is not our motive. Care is love. God rewards love. Okay, then he moves on right to the next point. Where am I at before I get too carried away here? Before I go delving in. Oh, we got time. When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites. <laughs> they're standing right there. You know what I mean? <laughs> He's looking at them, they're looking at him, and everybody standing there is looking at them too. It's right out the gate, man. You know, For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. I just want to tell you, this is the pent-up anger of God from all the way from Old Testament till now. God has something to say. And it's not just them. It's that whole line of them that have sought that position and used that position for this. And it's just like... Well, you're the group that's getting it because I'm here. I mean, they had been like that for a long, long time. And he just, wow, he just unloads on them. It says, do not be like the hypocrites or they love to stand and pray in the synagogue and on the street corners so that they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. You see the theme once again. Hypocrites, because prayer is ultimately an act of humility. Think it through. Just by doing it, you proclaim that you need the help of God and that God is the only one who can give you that help. The fact that you're praying to God is humbling. It's saying, God, I can't handle this. I need you. Please help. That's a humble act. If you pray for reasons based on pride, then your prayer is hypocrisy at the core. 
The base meaning in Greek for the term hypocrite is one who is an actor, someone who pretends. Once again, the only benefit they derive from this type of prayer is the notice of men, not the notice of God. Their prayers are not heard by God, but their motives are seen by Him. And that's something very important. Anytime you pray out of pride, or for a reason other than a humble reason, God doesn't hear it, but He sees your motive. But when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. There is reward again. This noted when you pray, uh, i.e. just you. This is not condemning corporate prayer or congregational prayer. That's not what he's talking about. These prayers are throughout Scripture. Congregational prayers are throughout Scripture. Old Testament, New Testament, they gather together, they pray. That They're perfect. They're wonderful. This is something different. Uh, these prayers are throughout Scripture. This addresses when you pray, not who you are praying with. That's something different. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. No issue with corporal, uh, corporate prayer. Again, I say to you that if two or three are gathered on earth about anything that they may ask, it shall be done for them by the Father who is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there in their midst. Personal prayer uh, should be prayed in private. They should not be a platform to display your spirituality or theological and political beliefs. How many times have I heard a prayer in church, which was supposed to be a congregational prayer, and somebody goes off into a political rant, and God's up there going, like I care? <laughs> you know, <laughs> to like, why? Um, and all of us can do that. It's very easy to do because we're passionate about it. And we think God is passionate about it too because we are. Uh, I'll be preaching in a couple weeks. That I found something profound. You know how I say we think we're God? Um, I found a little scripture where God says, you think I'm like you. And I thought about it. I says, my goodness, that is what we do. It, it's the the yin and the yang of the same problem. We think we're God. And God says, you idiots. You think I'm like you. You think that I think like you think. And boy, did you screw this up. So when I found that, I that really, all these years I've been talking about that, and I never saw it, and there it was. But anyway, if you use prayer for your worldly purposes, then you do not speak to God, but you're speaking to men. Don't call it prayer. When you invoke God's name for your purposes, <laughs> you could very well be taking his name in vain. And that's always a serious matter. So, if you stand to pray in front of people to get your point across, and you're invoking God into this, it's exactly what you're doing. You're, you're taking his power, his name, sticking it to your beliefs, and thinking that God will adjust to you. But, once again, I will, you know, please realize this is not talking about you know, corporate prayer when the spirit moves and you know somebody prays in a group because what he says if two or three you agree on anything how are you going to agree on anything in prayer unless you're talking to each other you know what I mean so it's not what this is talking about so this isn't a condemnation of congregational or brotherly prayer well we just did it I mean did we not I mean we started this every week by praying uh, all of us together um, Luke 18 uh, 10 through 12 what God does not doesn't want to hear from us 
Two men came up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and was praying to himself, private prayer, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, swindlers, unjust adulterers, or even like that tax collector over there. I fast uh, twice a week. I pay tithes on all that I get. A declaration of pride offered to God who demands humility. So the prayer is supposed to be an act of humility. And it's just telling God how wonderful you are. Aren't you lucky to have me, Lord? Basically. Psalm 66, 18. If you regard wickedness in my heart. Oh, if I regard wickedness in my heart. In other words, if I know what wickedness is and I choose it, the Lord will not hear me. It can't be plainer than that. If you're wondering why God's not answering your prayers, or it doesn't feel like God's answering your prayers, or you feel there's a gap between you and God when you pray, you might want to look into this. Is there something that's standing between us that I'm doing? That's Psalm 66, 18. Isaiah 1, 15 through 17. God speaking to his people. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply your prayers, I will not listen. Your hands are covered with blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, repent, remove the evil deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good. Uh, man, <laughs> here's the list. Learn to do good, seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. You want me to hear you? Do these things. That, brothers and sisters, is social justice. I'm not putting political, I'm talking about that's our responsibility. We don't need a political movement for us to do that. We have a mandate from God to do these things. Uh, then, I'll, then I hear you, you know. First Peter 3.12, Peter quoting Psalms 34. For the eyes of the Lord are towards the righteous, and his ears attend to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. In other words, if you're someone who's constantly doing evil and you're saying, hey, God, could you do me a favor? He just goes like this. No, I can't hear you. Uh, first, the only prayer he hears at that point in time is a prayer of repentance. That's what he's, at that time, that's all he's listening for. Uh, forgive me. I was wrong. First John 5, 14 through 15. This is the confidence we have before him. That if we ask... Boom, boom, boom. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Uh, if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request which we ask him for. Now what's implied in that is that you know what his will is. Uh, that you're asking, in other words, you, you have the spirit, you fellowship, you read the word. You're not asking for stupid stuff. Uh, We'll, we'll end there, but uh, I find myself amazed at me. If you want to know what matters to you the most, ask yourself, what do I pray for the most? There, there's a little light on yourself. It's a little turn towards the mirror. I mean, if you can be honest about it. And what I find myself fascinated by is I really don't care about the lottery. I don't. I mean, you know, it's incidental. It's, you know, whatever. I, I don't follow it. But sometimes it'll get up to like $500 million. And then all of a sudden I get the urge to play it. It astounds me that when it was $300 million, I was like, nah, it's not worth a buck. But when it's $500 million, 
And so then, for some stupid reason, I'll go get gas, and I'll sit there and I'll go, oh, I'll play it. Then I come home and go, oh my God, what am I going to do if I win? And I, I mean, I'm seriously concerned. Like, Lord, uh, never mind. What I'm praying is, don't let me win this. <laughs> and so the rest of the world's praying, give me the money, Lord. And I'm like, God, I don't want to be responsible for that unless you think I should be responsible for that. And I don't think you led me to do that. So, uh, I mean, if I had a five, you're going to ask me what happened to the $500 million. What did I do with it? And I, you know, I I don't need that kind of pressure, God. I'm fine just like I am. And I find myself once a year doing this. And I said, just as stupid as it was the last time. And what a strange prayer. <laughs> you know, everybody else in the world's praying, let me win, let me win. I'm like, oh, Lord, just pretend I didn't play. Because <laughs> this is what I tell everybody. If the Lord wanted you to win the lottery, you wouldn't have to buy the ticket. And people say, well, you know, they, there's that joke where, Lord, let me win the lottery, let me win the lottery. And the Lord said, help me out, buy a ticket. God don't need your help to buy a ticket. <laughs> Remember, he said, go throw your line in the water. <laughs> and he got a fish that had enough money to pay the taxes. It's, it's that easy for him. I mean, there is no amount of money that is a problem for God. None. I mean, it's incidental to him. He's like, why are you worried about this? What does it matter? You know. But it tells me a little bit about my prayers, and it, it tells me a little bit about me. You know, when I say, what is it you pray for? I always think of that. And I think, oh, Lord. You know, just... And, and I'm not saying next time it's $500 million, I won't stand there when I'm getting gas and buy a ticket. Though I know... I really don't want to win. Honestly, I don't. I'm just like, uh, I, I don't know what I'd do with that. So as soon as I buy it, I assume I'm going to win. And I start thinking. And then I go, oh my goodness. How am I going to do this right? You know, I, I don't know how to handle what I got. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, uh, any questions, anything like it, we'll pick up on verse 7 uh, next week. It's a continuation of praying. I'll just read it to you and I think about it over the week, guys. When you When you are praying... Do you do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose they will be heard in their many words. There's a lot to talk about there. There's a lot of different things that are said there. Uh, of course, our minds always go to our Catholic brethren. Um, you know, we want to jump all over them. And maybe there's a cautionary tale there. You know, go do 12 of these and 10 of those and everything will be good. And Jesus is saying, that's not how it works. But uh, there's a lot to talk about. So give it some consideration. And... Uh, We'll see you next week. If there's any questions or anything, uh, now's a good time to ask them. Anything else? If not, let's pray. That was 6-7 I left off, right? Let me make sure I get that down before, so I don't sit here and say, where were we? Father, we come before you, and I just thank you, Lord, for this uh, opportunity to get together in fellowship and uh, learn about you and your word. And we ask that your word find a home in our hearts. And when it does, it changes us. And when it changes us, we could be a light to this world. Watch over my brothers and sisters. Make them strong, wise, brave, and compassionate. And help us to glorify your name and what we think, what we do, and what we say. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>